This is the word of the Lord found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Galatians, 20, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, to uh, Fairhaven Church, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thanks to your pastor, Brother Jonathan. It's a privilege. It's an honor to get to be with you for this meeting. And thank you to everybody that's here. There's folks here from long distances, and I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. I ask for your continued prayers that one name and one name only would be glorified, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, y'all have made me feel welcome. I trust you'll make each other feel welcome. That's great. That's one, but there's one name for the glorification. And that's the name of the one that deserves it, Amen. our Lord Jesus. Amen. And I hope you'll pray just that. Hope you'll also pray a prayer where you say, Lord Jesus, send me the gospel. Amen. That uh, the gospel will not only have free course, but will fall on good ground, not only in your beloved brothers and sisters, but in your heart Amen. and in your life. This is an old text with me. I tried to preach it before. Bear with me. It's just on my heart again uh, this morning. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you the subject I want to address. And that is the matter of identity. Three of the most important questions a child of God can ask and have answered while they live here on the earth are these. Who is the Lord? Who am I? What would the Lord have me to do? Those are the three questions I'd like to examine in the light of Scripture this morning. First, who is the Lord? Second, who am I? That is, who are you? And then third, what would the Lord have me to do? But before I get there, let me look at these scriptures verse by verse. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As I study the scriptures, I find three ways in which a person can be a child of God. The first is simply God by grace causes them to be born again. And I want you to know that is a sovereign, immediate work of God alone and the person that becomes a born-again child of God is a passive recipient of that grace. They are born immediately by the Spirit of God. It is not synergistic. It's not them working with God. It's something God gives them because He loves them and He purposes it to happen, and it always succeeds. Amen. He calls them to life, and they live... In Jesus Christ, they move from being dead in trespasses and sins to alive in Jesus Christ. And they can't say no, 
And they always say yes because He makes them willing in the day of His power. It's something God does alone. And it is always that way. There are no special cases. The wind blows where it listeth. It means the wind blows where it wants to. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou may hearest the sound thereof, but thou knowest not whence it cometh, nor whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The reason that a person can't say no is because spiritually speaking, they are dead in trespasses and sins and unable to say no or yes. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Not they that will hear, they that do hear. And the reason they do hear is because He gives them life in Himself. It is a sovereign, immediate, always successful, everlasting work of God to cause someone to become a child of God by grace. But there's another way that you can become a child of God or a son of God. It's mentioned in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it said, For He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. This is speaking of somebody who's already been born as a child of God by grace. But they become an acknowledged, they perceive that sonship when they believe in Jesus Christ by the faith which He's given them in the new birth. They believe on the name of the Son of God, but they've already been born previously, not by the blood, not by the will of man, not by the will of the flesh. They've been born of God. Now they become a perceived, acknowledged, they understand that they have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. They believe that. They are able to see themselves a little more as God sees them, which is God's Son. You understand that? Is that clear? You become objectively a child of God, a son of God, by God sovereignly causing you to be born again before you ever do anything. But when you hear the Gospel, when one of God's born-again children believe on His name, they become a child of God, not just in God's sight, in their own sight. That's a wonderful blessing. That's not the only way you become a child of God, though. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Ye have heard it said of old, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you that you love your enemy, that you pray for them that despitefully use you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. That is, now, when you start loving people in an active way, not only those that like you, but even those that you can perceive as your enemies, when you do that, you know in what sense you become a child of God? in the eyes of others. They see you acting like God who sends His reign on the just and the unjust. And so somebody that's following the Lord in that way is not only objectively a child of God in God's sight, not only have they been blessed to become a child of God in their sight, now 
They are a child of God in the sight of others. And so this scripture that we read here, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, these folks have been blessed to exercise faith, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that uh, they are by grace a child of God. And I believe we've got many here this morning that are children of God, not only because God has exercised His marvelous, victorious, unstoppable grace on on you, but because you yourself have acknowledged and seen and rejoiced in that grace. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is no better visible expression of your belief and your faith than that you submit yourself unto a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ for being baptized in the name, showing that picture of His death, His burial, and His resurrection, rise up to walk in newness of life as disciples of your Savior. And so here, ye are all, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There, that means in Christ, there in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice these three categories. Jew nor Greek is an expression of ethnicity. That's a racial division. You know, there's a lot of racial groups in the human race today. There are a number of different kinds of Asian folks, Polynesians, Micronesians, blacks, whites, Hispanics. There's all kinds of races, Aborigines, Inuits. There's a lot of different racial divisions. But there's only one that was actually designated in the Scripture. Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile. And that was one that God commanded for a period of time until His Son should come, born among those that are physically, racially Jews, in order to save His chosen people out of every nation. But there is a racial division that is the strongest racial division that has or ever will be in the human race, and God inspires the Apostle Paul to write, there in Jesus Christ, it no longer exists. There in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's racial division. That's ethnicity. There is neither bond nor free. Talk about social groups or class groups. You know, most society has classes. You've got your aristocracy at the top. You've got your merchant class. You've got your soldiers. You've got your peasants. You know, certain areas you've got your Brahmins. You've got your warriors. You've got your farmers. You've got your untouchables. Isn't that sad how the human race does that? How we divide up into all these classes. You know, a few years ago we had a movement called Occupy Wall Street. Everybody was mad at the 1%. 
1% of the human race controls so much of the, of the wealth, it's just not fair, it's just not right. And we make such a big deal of class divisions within society. You've got the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. You've got all of these, these academic and societal divisions of class. But I want you to know this. In Christ Jesus, there's no classes. Amen. You talk about all the divisions of classes. How much greater division than you, can you get than this? Slave or free? In that day, and sadly to say, even in this day, there were people that thought they owned other people. Now, brothers and sisters, that's just not right. It's not right. Jesus Christ taught that it was not right when He said, as you would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. How would you like to be owned by somebody else as their property? Would you like that? Would you do that? I don't expect you would. If you don't like that, don't do that. Amen. So of all the class divisions, proletariat and bourgeoisie and aristocracy and merchants and warriors and peasants and serfs and all that, there's probably been never a greater division of classes than bond, which means slave, and free. Free people. That's a very strong, definite social division and in Christ Jesus, it does not exist. Amen. There is neither male nor female. Now that gets to a very biological level, even though our society has gone kind of crazy and doesn't recognize that anymore. Male or female is a biological thing. It gets down to the cellular level of chromosomes, XX or XY chromosomes, and as a result of the fall, there are genetic defects where you have different, you've got some people that are YY and some are XXY and things, but 99 point something percent are either XX or XY, they're either male or they're female, and sometimes it almost seems like they're different species, <laughs> but they're not, and in Christ Jesus, even the division of gender disappears. Do you know who the first person to see the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead as recorded by Scripture? It was a woman. It was Mary Magdalene. So in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. Well, then that tells you a bunch of things of what your identity is not. So what is your identity what does that mean your identity is? It goes on to say, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, that means one of the faithful, and heirs according to the promise. What a child of God is at the very core of who he is. What the identity of someone in Christ is, is they are the possession and child of the living God. Amen. That's who at your very deepest level you are. Now that's question number two. Let's address question number one. Who is the Lord? Who is 
the Lord who is God. And when I say Lord and I say God, that's two different meanings. Lord means the ruler of all. That's what Lord means. Jesus Christ is Lord, both of the quick and the dead. He's the Lord of the dead and the living. God means one who receives worship. God is not the God of the dead. He is only the God of the living because only the living have the spiritual life required to worship Him. So, He, Jesus Christ, is both Lord and God. But I'm asking the question, who is the Lord? That is, who rules? And that was the question that Saul of Tarsus asked. The very first question he asked when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. You remember, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus is a town in southeast Turkey, and he was born there and had Roman citizenship, but he grew up and was educated in Jerusalem, had a great education, was succeeding in his career as a lawyer or a scribe, and very zealous, cruelly, uh, very diligently zealous, persecuting Christians, persecuting the church. And he was on his way after persecuting saints in Jerusalem. He was on his way to the great Syrian city of Damascus to find Christians that were there. And apparently he had a group of armed men to help him enforce the commission he had from the council. And on the way, he met the Lord Jesus Christ, but he didn't know who it was. He just knew he, he, knew he met the Lord. Because there appeared a great light shining from heaven, so much so that he went down to the earth. And he was frightened. And the men that were with him were frightened. Uh, they didn't see anybody speaking to him, but they heard a voice. They heard the voice of Saul talking to somebody. And the very first question that Saul of Tarsus asked is, Who art thou, Lord? That's one of the most important questions you can ask in your life. And to come up with the right answer, the correct answer, is essential. Who art thou, Lord? And I hope that at some times in your life you either have asked that or will ask that soon. Who is the Lord? Who rules this universe? Who is in control of all things, even if He doesn't cause all things? Who is it that is the Master? And if you're a science fiction fan and you think there's more than one universe so that there's a metaverse, I'm asking who is the Lord of the metaverse? Who is the ruler over all things? And you know right in that same chapter, there in that same conversation where Saul of Tarsus asked that question, the answer came immediately. And I want you to know the Bible answer. And I hope one day that for you and me, very thoroughly, the Bible answer will become our personal answer too. Because when he asked that question, Who art thou, Lord? The answer came back, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The Lord of the universe and if there are more of all universes, the Lord of all is Jesus Christ. That's a fundamental question. That's one you need to ask. That's one you need to have an answer. That's one you need to have the right answer. It's proven 
in a myriad of ways. Even from the beginning, when Moses was writing the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God said to Adam and Eve that the seed of woman would have enmity with the seed of the serpent, and the seed of woman would have his heel bruised by the serpent, but he would bruise the serpent's head. What a clear prophecy of the one who would go to the cross and have his heel bruised so badly there, but who would deal the devil a mortal blow so that the works and the accusations and what perceived triumph the devil had would be destroyed. For this purpose, the Lord Jesus Christ came that He might destroy the works of the devil. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. And even though the devil may be loosed for a little season, and he may gather the nations, and he might have the nations surround the camp of the saints, I want you to know that the devil has been defeated, and it only remains for his defeat to be manifested to all the creatures in the universe because he will be totally defeated. He was defeated at the cross. The completeness of that defeat is yet to be revealed, but it will be revealed. Who is Lord? Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who walked the earth as the Son of Man, who even now sits at the right hand of God, God sitting at the right hand of God, go figure that one out, making intercession for us. Now, that prophecy in Genesis wasn't the only one. There's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that points to Him being the Lord. Do you know what happened in the Old Testament if a leper were healed? Do you know what the celebration of His healing was? They were to go get two little birds, clean birds, and they were to take those birds and one of them was to be put in an earthen vessel. The Son of God came into a body, an earthen vessel, to be taken over running water. And in that earthen vessel were the implements of priesthood, a hyssop that was used to sprinkle blood on the ark. Cedar, that was the very wood they built the temple out of. Scarlet, depicting the blood that would be shed and also in the veil dividing the holy from the holiest of holies in the temple. And that little bird was to be taken over running water, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said, He that believeth in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Taken over running water and there slain and his blood was to be poured forth. And then the living bird was to be taken and put in the blood of that bird that was slain, taken to an open field, and let go to fly in the sky. Can you get a clearer picture of how God's children are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ that they might go to heaven? Is it a coincidence that the children of Israel went free on Passover night after they slew the Passover lamb, and then the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified when? On Passover. Now, that's just a few of them. You can go on and on and on. And it just shows over and over and over again that not only was Jesus the Christ, but He is the Lord of the universe. Someone that fulfills that many prophecies, somebody that does that so much according to the Scriptures, when He rises from the dead after His crucifixion and says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. You know what I believe? That He has all power in heaven and earth. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord, let this mind be in you. 
which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord, who considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient as a servant, and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in the earth or things under the earth or things in heaven, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the first question. Who is Lord? Here's the resounding answer over and over again. Proven not only by Scripture, but even proven in the lives of the apostles who wouldn't die to support a lie. They were going forth proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord at the risk of their very lives. The first question is, who is Lord? That's what the apostle Paul, that's what Saul of Tarsus says. And the answer is clear. The Lord is Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the third question? Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? That's what Paul asked right after that. He asked that question. Right after he found out who the Lord was, the Lord was Jesus, who he was persecuting, he was ready to obey because he knew what the Lord, that the Lord was Jesus. Now he wanted to know how should he obey? Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? That's question number three. And I hope you and I will ask that day by day by day. Lord, what would you have me to do? So much of that is given to us in the New Testament. It was a specific command for Saul of Tarsus. He was to continue his journey, blind though he was, led by the hand into Damascus. He was go to a particular address in the street named Straight and ask for a particular individual, Ananias, who would come in and lay his hands on him that he might receive his sight. And then after that, he received another directive from the Lord when he was asking, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And that was he should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so he was. And he rose up a servant of Jesus Christ from that day forward. In fact, he started preaching pretty quick thereafter, so much so that he made people mad and they had to let him down over the walls of Damascus in a basket to escape the capture of the governor. That's an important question. Lord, you're the Lord. What would you have me to do? Because there's something important about question two. And here's what I'd like to devote most of the rest of my time to is... Who are you? And the way I should ask that personally is, who am I? What am I? What is my identity? There's a lot of wrong answers that people have come up with over the ages. It's important that you get this one correct. Who are you? Paul, Saul of Tarsus, eventually changed his name to Paul. He found out the answer to that. He was a young man when he first asked that question, Who art thou, Lord? What wouldst thou have me to do? And he preached and he ministered to the Lord's children for many years. And when he got to be an older man, he was in a trial, in a court case that was kind of seemed to be going against him. And as a Roman citizen, he appealed unto Caesar. 
And uh, they said, all right, you're a Roman citizen. We'll send you to the venue you've asked for, Caesar's Court. They put him on a ship with about 360 other people. The ship was, uh, the whole voyage was managed by a particular centurion of Augustus' band. His name was Julius. And uh, they were sailing on the way, and they had to stop over in Crete. And Paul warned them, said, uh, better not continue this voyage now. I know that it's going to be uh, great damage where we'll be risking trouble if we continue this voyage. Well, the centurion had a decision to make, whether to continue the voyage at that time or not. And he got some information from the captain of the ship. said, no, we need to go. We need to sail. He asked the guy that owned the ship. The owner said, we need to sail. He got his information from Paul, who was a prisoner on the ship. No, you better not go. You're going to run into trouble. Now, y'all, just naturally speaking, if you were on a ship and the captain said one thing and the owner said one thing and agreed and then one of the inmates said something different, which one would you probably go with? Well, that's what Julius went with. He said, and they waited. The wind was blowing fairly. They took off from Crete. They're heading over to Italy and they ran into a terrible storm. So bad it got a name. It was a name storm, Eurachlidon. And they were in a place where, I think it was about two weeks, they couldn't even see the sun or the moon or the stars. They didn't know where they were. And, the, and they were taking on water, so they cast out the tackling of the ship. Now they couldn't control it, but I guess they figured, we don't know where we are, so why do we need to control? They were about ready to cast out their food supplies, the wheat, because they're sinking in the water. They're taking on water. And the Scripture says, at that point, all hope, that they were to be saved was taken away. But up on deck comes the prisoner, the Apostle Paul. And he said, This night, the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, appeared unto me and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou must appear before Caesar, and lo, the Lord hath given thee all that sail with thee. And I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now, what a strange thing for the prisoner. I guess he was gaining some credibility. He walked up and basically said, Sirs, you should not have continued this voyage and risked this loss. He says, uh, God's given us all the people on the ship, but we're going to lose this ship. I guess he was gaining some credibility by this point since he told them they shouldn't sail in the first place. And now they knew they shouldn't sail. And so he told them, that he got the word that they were all going to be safe, that they were going to lose the ship, that they were going to be cast up on a certain island. All of that happened just as the Lord showed him. But here's what I'm after in that. When he came up, he was talking about God. It was an angel. And this angel was of God. And this is what he said about himself. This night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve appeared unto me. I want you to see how confident Paul was in who he was and what his identity was. He says his identity is this. God, whose I am. That means my identity is this. I am the property of the living God. I belong to God. That's who I am. That is my identity. 
And as a result, this is my activity. I serve Him. He's God, whose I am, and whom I serve. That is who I am. Now I want you to ask that question of yourself. Who are you? I need to ask that question of myself. Who am I? And there are so many incorrect answers to that question. A lot of people want to identify themselves by their by the way they earn a living. Some people say, I'm a doctor. Some will say, I'm a farmer. Some will say, I am a teacher. Some will say, I'm a mechanic. Some will say, I'm a salesperson. Some will say, I am a, a, a government employee. Brothers and sisters, that's not who you are. If that's who you are, it's really crushing if you get laid off or you retire. You see, that's not who how you how you earn an income is not who you are. If you change jobs, you don't become a different person. That's that's not your identity. And if you think it is your identity, get rid of that notion right now. That's not who you are. That's how God has given you a means to provide for your physical needs, how you make a living. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying it's not that important. It's not who you are. Some people think their identity is sins that they've committed. You ever heard a poor person that's in a bad way say, I'm a junkie. I'm a homosexual. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a felon. Never heard anybody say that. That's really sad. The sins you have committed are not who you are. Those are acts that you've done that are displeasing and grieve the one who is Lord. But that's not who you are. Just as you can change jobs, you can overcome sins. You can overcome habits. You can overcome addictions. You can overcome these things. Because who you are is more powerful than the way you make a living or the way that you have transgressed God's commandments. Who you are is bigger than that. It's greater than that. It's more lasting than that. Some people identify who they are by certain human relationships. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. By the way, folks, I'm a granddad. (laughs) I like it. It's still, it's not who I am. It's not who I am. I rejoice in that. We rejoice in our human relationships. But it's sad. Somebody's identity is wrapped up in being a mom or dad and they get to the emptiness place where there's nobody home but them and the husband or them and the wife. All of a sudden they're at loose ends. Why? Because they've misidentified themselves. They've missed, you know, what a wonderful thing to be blessed, to have children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. What a wonderful thing it is to have if you're able to. Not everybody's able to. That's okay. We have different roles, different walks in life. Some people are blessed to do that and it's a wonderful thing. It's a highly important thing. It's still not who you are. When the children are grown up and gone, when the grandchildren are grown up and gone, Your identity remains unchanged. It's not 
just your relationship with other human beings. It's not the way that you have sinned against the Lord. It's not the way you make a living. That's not who you are. This society is getting really off base in their answers. It's like I identify as this gender uh, today and that gender tomorrow and maybe another gender by 5 o'clock in the evening. Brothers and sisters, there's neither male or female in Christ Jesus. Even the real biological genders are secondary in importance. Somebody might say, well, I'm just a, I'm a poor person. Or somebody might say, I'm a billionaire. I own a company on the Fortune 500 list. It's not who a, it's not who a child of God is. That's not it. It's not their class. Well, I'm on assistance. Well, I sit on the board of two corporations. Big deal. You know, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. You're not even slave or free. That's a secondary characteristic. Jew or Gentile. I'm part American native. Big deal. I'm Hispanic. I am Pacific Islander. I am Inuit. It's all secondary. You know, we take great interest in that. We run 23andMe. We run Ancestry.com. We want to know. I'm part Irish and part Venezuelan or something like that. You know, it's okay. Might help in a medical procedure. I'm not saying to do that is bad. What I'm saying is bad is all of a sudden that becomes who you are. Because who you are is not your ethnic or racial group. It is not your position on the social strata. It is not your gender. If you're a child of God, who you are is a child of God. Amen. Who you are is the possession and the property of the living God and you've got an activity to be about. It's something that not only lasts for your life on earth, this is an everlasting job. What we do, what the Lord would have us to do, is to worship Him, praise Him, serve Him, rejoice in Him, find our very being in praising God. Amen. That is who you are. Isn't it wonderful to have an identity that never changes, that doesn't depend on where you are, who you're with, what you're working at, what you've done in the past, what's going to happen to you in the future. It's an invariant identity. It can't be taken away. It can't be altered. If you have a hope in Jesus Christ, that's an evidence that by grace you've been made a child of the living God and that stands forever and it's who you are. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ, the Savior of His people. Who are you? You are a child of the living God. What would God have you to do? Serve Him by being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed. What does that mean? It's the children of the promise, it tells us in Romans chapter 9, that are counted 
for the seed of Abraham. It means you're one of the many, many millions, billions of the children of the promise chosen in Christ before the world began. And if you be Christ then, are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Have you ever considered how many places, and I can't remember them, I just remember a few of them, speaking of you being in Christ there, there is, uh, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, but think of how, how you, it's first spoken of you being in Christ according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Chosen in Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ are all made alive. Alright? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can you see how wonderful it is? God's grace to be in Jesus Christ. Chosen in Christ to be holy and without blame. Chosen in Christ to live. For as in Adam all die in Christ, even so in Christ are all made alive. To be made new. What a wonderful thing. I want you to know that this identity that you have as a child of God and as the property of God is expensive. We just sang the song. Sometimes... When I think of the cross, I find much sorrow there. It's sad that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the things He suffered because of the sins that I've committed. That's sad. And I can't adequately describe His suffering. It goes beyond the blindfolding and the spitting on His face, the striking of his face with the palms of the servant's hand and the rod on his cheek. It goes beyond the time they scourged him and tore the skin off his back and put the crown of thorns on his head. It goes beyond the nails they put in his hands and his feet. It goes beyond the mockery and the shame of hanging naked on the cross while they gambled for his garments goes beyond anything that can be seen by human eyes because when the Lord executed wrath and justice upon His Son, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, there transpired something that goes beyond human telling. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And there, as He hung, he paid for every sin of every human being that's a child of God that's in Him in every age of human history. And He completely removed every sin so that He would not lose one of His children that God had given to Him. That's an expensive thing. Do not take your identity as a child of God, as the property of the Most High God, as one who should rightly do His bidding. Do not take that lightly. It's been bought at great cost. There is no sacrifice that we can make. There is no price that we can pay that would even begin to touch what price was paid so that we could be a child of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you.